All right, what's going on, people? This is a little bit of an impromptu podcast because this is the first time the Movie Nerd is officially outside. I am podcasting live from a Starbucks in Albany, New York, and I am joined once again by the lovely Kristen, a.k.a. Miss Filmingo. I mean, you've been on this podcast so many times that you're basically like a permanent staple. Uh, we're here to talk about Renfield. I mean, if I am, I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're, we're here to talk about Renfield, which is a movie that I feel like is – Gonna be it's gonna be a similar conversation to what we've had before about a couple of other movies that have come out this year, specifically one that I'm thinking of. So, Kristen, you got anything you want to say before we get this started? I'm an AK fan, so I'm here and I'm excited to talk about it. So yeah. let's get into it. N- Nicholas friggin' Cage. I mean, let let say no more. Let's get into it. going on people we are back to our regularly scheduled sunday morning slots i'm of course dom the movie nerd i am joined once again by kristen aka miss filmingo one half of the m and k podcast productions i'm still gonna keep screwing up that name but that's fine. fine i'll get Everybody it does. i'll get it eventually i, I will fine. get it eventually I'll be, I'll be the one person on the internet that actually gets it right so we are here to talk about a movie that i feel like once again, like so many other movies that we've talked about this year, is it just, Kristen, I don't know what it is about this year so far, but it's like I feel like every single movie is just being completely misunderstood as far as its intentions, what it's setting out to do, all that. Like you have people saying that Cocaine Bear is an, is problematic, not because it made up its entire story, not because it is ultimately just a, a genre, a creature feature, but like – so, so you get that. You got superhero movies bombing out left and right. You have the industry mm-hmm. really not sure what they want to do. You know, they're slashing budgets. We're in a recession right now. Things are just crazy all around. And so naturally you can imagine that like after the craziness of March where we just had like content dropping back and forth, left and right, just nonstop. You know, you had so many things that happened in March. And now April, it's like I feel like we're in like a hangover period in April. April's traditionally been a very strange month in the past. We've gotten like a lot of like really weird releases sometimes of good ones like famously i think the biggest surprise of last year was that you had michael bay's ambulance which came out in april of last year which is just insane and now one week after the super mario brothers movie is set to be like the biggest movie of the year one week after arguably one of the biggest tv events ever with the death of logan roy i can say that now you know Mm -hmm. because people have actually seen that episode now to this point you have a movie that is just trying to be a fun little genre feature and by nature of the star that it has, which is Nicolas Cage, the the most memed actor on the internet, we have, we have one of these movies like every month that we talk about, every year for the last couple of years that we've talked about. We talked about, um, what's it called? Oh, what was that Nick Cage movie that we talked? We talked about Prisoners of the Ghostland back in 2021 after we and missed. There was um, the after way we missed Willy's Wonderland and Peg, and then we talked about the Bearable Weight of Massive Talent last year. And this year, it's Renfield, which is a movie that. You would think, again, is it, when, when I first heard the reports of this, I thought it was going to be like, okay, this is just going to be another joke. They're doing a movie about Renfield, uh, about Dracula, but from Renfield's perspective, and Nicolas Cage is going to play Dracula. I'm like, okay, so this is going to be ridiculous. And then it's weird because, like, despite us living in an age where we get so many misleading trailers that completely deviate from what they're setting out, from, from the movie that they're setting out to do, we get another instance where this movie, you have a movie that is exactly what the trailer is delivered on. It is like a gory, campy, 
ridiculous experience that doesn't take itself too seriously and mm -hmm. is trying to venture deep at a, at a deep message, but it's held back by its slightly simplistic script. Like, I don't know, like, I wanted your thoughts, like, first and foremost, before we dove in, like, when you first heard about this movie, what it's, when, about it's existing and just being like, do we really need this? Yeah. Oh my God. It was a huge jug. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. I just got distracted. Stay hydrated people. Um, but yeah, I was on board. I love, I love to follow anything Nicolas Cage because, you know, he's a man, he's a legend, he's meme. I, I, anything he touches, you know, it's either going to be really good or really bad. There's no in between I, from my Nicolas Cage viewing experiences. So knowing that, uh, Chris McKay was a director who I really enjoy his previous projects and, um, knowing Nicholas Cage joined and then we have Nicholas Hole, everybody going on board. And I thought this was a unique take for the film. So I was just on board with everything through. And I thought, you know, it's not told from Dracula's perspective, but taking a unique take on Redfield's perspective, I was really excited about it. And I just went in when I loved the trailers. I loved everything. What I saw, it was like a simple story that was going to be like, easy enough to follow for like a regular audience member, even though we know the audience is not dumb, but it's a simple story that you can just, I feel like you can enjoy the ride for. So I was just very excited completely all the way through. Yeah, it's interesting when you see that, like, you know, the, the amount of, like, crazy IPs that are, like, entering the public domain now, where it's, like, we live in an age of sequels and IP where just everything is trying to be a part of something recognizable, so it'll get somebody out there. And what, what's cool about that, like, the one small bit of good thing that comes from that amongst all of the crap that we are unfortunately enmeshed with is that we get a bunch of stuff that is now finally entering the public domain because it's hitting like 100 years of existence. As so you have a lot of creative opportunities for a lot of studios and creators to actually come in and be like, oh, we're actually going to do like a funny take on this. Oh, we're going to do like a ridiculous take on this. Like I still think probably the best and worst example of this simultaneously is that awful Winnie the Pooh blood and honey. I was just going to say that. We just got that adaptation of Winnie the Pooh since it's public domain at this point. Which you know? I'm like, okay, the fact that this is the stuff that we're getting as a result of Winnie the Pooh being public domain I'm like this just shows where we're at as a society right now but I mean it's been I've been making no secret of the fact that like one of my favorite subgenres of anything is vampires and how I feel like Twilight the, the fact that we lived through like an entire decade of like Twilight and Vampire Diaries kind of like you know turning vampires into like romance novels I like that we're finally whenever we get like vampire movies just in general we're getting back to a time period where it's like no these guys are being treated as what they are you know monsters and yeah and it makes me think of the time of when um was it Fright Night came out Right, right. Yeah, with because that was also pretty camp, but it was also a movie everybody also really enjoyed, and I think that right. was a great IP. You know, you know, it's a remake, but well, 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 well the trouble with, with Fright Night was that it came out like that was what twenty eleven, so that was like right in the it middle, was like ahead of the time though. It was ahead of its time for sure, but it was like right in the middle. Like you had you had like a couple ones that snuck in, like you had Thirty Days of Night stuff like that, but for the most part, like it was just every vampire movie was just like about romance and humans falling in love and it's like vampires having moral existential crises about being immortal it's like shut up we, we don't care about any of that we want to see you rip throats out and have fun and be bloody and disgusting which is what true blood tried to do to all of its credit and then just, just you know it was always like route. we gotta get back to Sookie and bill and it's like i don't care about Sookie and bill they're the two worst characters on the show but i will give credit where credit is due despite dracula untold getting a lot of flack i like that trying to take it back to like you know more of like the old school prestigious Er, you know areas of vampirism and like i will say that even though this movie was pretty terrible last year's the invitation like was kind of getting back to like what i wanted to see for lack of a better word which is just like again just bloody ridiculous camp 
And yeah, that's and kind that's of in a strange way with this is. movie. Yeah. And that's exactly what this movie is doing well, where you have, this is a movie that knows exactly what it is doing. It is not taking itself seriously at all. The camp and the gore is just at an all time high. Like it's, I, they, they finally, I think with just the gore in general, which is what a lot of people are focusing on is one of the more positive elements. It's just, they found a way to actually mix in the digital effects with the practical effects in a way that's not distracting. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is that like, you saw this like, particularly egregious with the Expendables is they would use digital squibs and it would just look so fake because the thing about it is that like squibs are such a fundamental part of previous action movies and the fact that like like they were so like visceral and like such a big part of like you know showing the gore and like show you know showing the excess of the violence and so when you when you make that digital something is just going to feel off and with this one I don't know if it's just the perfection of the technology but they finally found a way to actually like Use that in a way that, like, feels shocking. Exactly. And so you got, like, every time, like, you have a crazy action sequence that goes off in this movie and they just blood and guts flying everywhere. Like, Redfield's kicking people. Like, you have multiple people getting, like, their heads kicked off. And, like, there's a scene where, like, Redfield knees a guy and it, like, shows, like, the blood bobbing. the part where, like, even to the point where, like, Dracula's, like, ribbing limbs off of people. And I was just like, oh, my God. This is nuts. It's like, you know, a karate movie, but extreme. It's like, it's literally like, it's kind of funny because in a weird way, it reminded me of Birds of Prey because I think, and and again, this is a thing that was both a strength and a weakness for both Birds of Prey and this movie Renfield is that it would be like this goofy comedy and then when it would switch to the action sequences, it would all of a sudden become like John Wick. Like it wasn't like a Pineapple Express where it's like, oh, you know, they're doing all this action and it's clearly like on the set and improv and like, you know, it's part of the, no, they were just like, it's like they brought in the second unit directors and all of a sudden it becomes literally like a John Wick or like a Rain movie where it's like they're doing all these crazy action sequences and you're like wait what what kind of a movie i'm watching it's yeah. weird because like it's not a, i don't have a problem with it because the sequences are really well done but in terms of like it being really jarring for the tone overall like yeah, i don't know everybody i've seen complain about this movie and i didn't you know tone is important and i get it but i just kind of wanted a fun movie which this film is and i didn't really mind that but it's a almost a romance given the fact what we see with Nichols Holt and Aquafina. Then we have the action stuff. We got the uh horror comedy. We got the drama that involves Aquafina's character. It's it's a lot. And I think that's why people like the critics kind of stood away from that and didn't really were really on board because you know tone is important, like I just said. But it's I think everything kind of mixed well together. But I think that's what Chris McKay was kind of looking for. But I think I don't know. Yeah, it's weird because, like, I, I think the biggest thing is that, like, I think people were taken off guard by the fact that this kind of had, like, way more story, for lack of a better word, than mm-hmm. people were expecting. Like, in order to break it down, essentially, you have, like, it's fun. The movie starts off with, like, a fun little voiceover and, like, a backstory of, like, you know, they, they do some, like, black and white rendering of, like, the original Dracula, really well but swapping it. It's really well done, but, yeah, but swapping a Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Holt for the, the classic parts of, again, um, what's it, uh, Bella Lugosi and whoever the old actor that was that played Renfield in the original 1930s Dracula and essentially explains our backstory and relationship and why like how Renfield is able to been like rationalize the fact that he is morally compromised for serving Dracula all these years and like all the innocent lives that he is that he has caused and now you finally find you essentially find himself in a situation where he's trying to use the powers that Dracula has given him for good but they're ultimately uh but they're ultimately just causing more problems especially since Dracula is becoming more and more bloodthirsty and crazed as the years have gone by right. and he finds himself kind of embroiled in a in a 
mafia subplot that's going on between Aquafina, who's a cop trying to take down this mafia cartel led by Sharae Adashlu and her son, Ben Schwartz, which is probably the most unbelievable thing in a movie that stars Nicolas Cage as Dracula. Like, that was probably the biggest surprise to me was seeing that. I'm like, okay, so the movie is pitched on watching Nicolas Cage as Dracula, but half the time I'm just being distracted by Ben Schwartz mugging and doing more dumb improv that doesn't even make sense half the time. It doesn't make sense, but I feel like some of the like, times so, he really steals so, the scene. It's just it's really so, funny and ridiculous. If this were like a regular comedy, for lack of a better word, like Ben Schwartz would be perfect and his sense of improv and timing would be perfect. But like just given the subject matter of it, it's like every time he's on screen, like he sends it like a sore thumb. Like Aquafina, I'll give credit where credit is due. Aquafina at the very least, I kind of understands the movie that she's in. Like like because her whole movie, she's like, no, I'm in like a serious cop drama. And she's like trying to do her best with like, it's like she's in like, She's in the, essentially like an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but if they took it actually seriously and it wasn't like a comedy. Mm -hmm. And you have Ben Schwartz, who's just like doing his Ben Schwartz thing because that's just like what his brand has become at this point. You know, now especially now that he's like playing an iconic character with Sonic the Hedgehog. And then you have Shori Agdashlu, who's just like, you know, she, she can never do any wrong. But like, she's just like, what, like she is, it's another classic situation of like, wow, taking a nothing part in a really, what, what is essentially a silly comedy, like really seriously. And then you have Nicholas Holden and Nicholas Cage, which is like every time they're on screen, you're like, okay, that's, that's the movie that I'm interested in. That's the movie mm -hmm. that I really want to be watching, which is, it's like in a strange way, like this actually like really interesting take on like, I don't even know what you would call it, like toxic, like, like it's I, toxic I don't know, workplace like, relationships. That's the way I saw it as. I mean, that, 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 that's like the that's what they market it as. But like, I feel like it goes a little bit deeper than that. Like, there's definitely a little bit of a like um a, a dominant submissive um uh, what's it called relationship going in there as well. Like, if 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 I can if I can if I if I would be allowed to probe that deeply. But <laughs> what fascinates me is it's like because they're probably the two best actors in the movie. Like every time they're on screen, I'm like, wow, I'm actually like kind of invested in this drama. Like, like the lines that they're saying are inherently silly and they ultimately don't, are, are like very simplistic and they're clearly not trying to be that deep. But I don't know if it's the performances or just the nature of the subject matter that they're going for. But like every time they're talking, I'm like, damn, I kind of do feel bad for Renfield. Like he legitimately yeah. like, well, he, cause he's ultimately portrayed as a guy who's just like, yeah, I kind of just wanted this better life for you my know, family. I, I felt bad for him. I really did. I think, I think it's the nature of how Nicholas Holt gave the performance because I haven't really seen like a comedic timing performance from him in a while. I mean, you see him on the great where his comedic timing is really good there, but this is like a film where you can really see his really, his chops kind of shine and, uh, the way that he chooses to do some things with his character, I really felt the simplistic nature of it because he wants to also help people. That's why, you know, we see in the beginning of the film where he's in the restaurant and he helps Aquafina, oh, excuse me, Aquafina in the film. So. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because it's like, I, I the biggest thing I always complain about with, with comedies in this tone is that I'm like, I never really feel invested in the arc that the characters are going through. You know, like I, like they, because the, the biggest thing that I noticed with transition from comedies, and this is largely when I noticed that comedy is starting to go away and not being as appealing to people as they used to, is that like, you have like this whole era of Apatow comedies where Apatow, the magic that he was always able to pull off was that he was always able to make the character struggles feel relatable. It wasn't about the jokes, you know, like what, what a lot of people, when they look back and they criticize people like Seth Rogen, like Jonah Hill, like James Franco, you know, all those big comedy stars that we got out of that era. The mm -hmm. thing that they miss about all those movies is that, like, yes, after a certain point, a lot of those guys ended up in a lot of the really generic and repetitive comedies that just weren't as funny that we're just trying to emulate that era. But the thing that made that era that I'm going to say started really in about, like, oh, four and continued about, like, 2009, 2010, and then it started to fall off in 2012 is really, like, the last good period that we had of that is that all of those character struggles were, like, 
relatable. Like anybody could relate to like just two dumb kids trying to get booze for a party or like a dude that is like never, never just never had the self-confidence to actually like be intimate with a woman or some guy who is like stuck in like an, um, in a uh, what's called in a period of arrested development and then is forced to mature as a result of that you know like all of those struggles are ultimately relatable and even though you have like this heightened ridiculous scenario of it's like renfield and his relationship with dracula like the way that they pose it and even though it's silly and yeah the characters are hamming it up a little bit you still like feel for the fact that it's like wow this is a guy that ultimately was just trying to do some good um for his life you know just a little thing in order to get his family ahead and then ultimately ended up with the with the very, very worst, worst of scenarios yeah. that he kind of was trapped in, and now was ultimately just trying to get himself deal out with, of it. Right. Well, not just get himself out of it, but like deal with it in the best way that he can. Because at the beginning, he's like compromised the fact that he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna be stuck in this scenario for the rest of my life. I've been alive for." I think it's cool also that like even though they kind of hinted at that he had been alive for a long time, they never really like harped on it. it's like, "Oh, I am this certain number of years old." You know, it's just kind of like you. He just, they just let the performance stand for itself. Where it's like, "Yeah, I'm like." clearly like over 100 years old and you can see like how that's settling with me you know and like mm -hmm. how he clearly adapted the modern like they didn't need to do like a captain america thing it's like oh how does this smartphone thing work now i'm glad they, they didn't do any of that they just let the story of the arc speak for itself and it shows like nicholas cage's range as, a, as an actor it's so weird because like no sorry not nicholas cage nicholas holt um damn it's really confusing that this is I the know. movie truly of the two nicholases but um yeah it, it's really fascinating nicholas holt's career just in general because you're like this is a guy who was ultimately set to be a superstar after the X-Men prequels that he was in. You know, he had been character actor and, you know, a, a, a teen rising star in Britain, you know, with, with About a Boy and then being the main star of the first two seasons of Skins before he translated, before he transitioned over to American stuff. And he was set to be like a big star after the X-Men movies, but in a weird way... Um, it's, it kind of pulled a Tom Hardy in the sense of where he decided to go less for superstar parts and more just like really interesting character parts. And that's what's been benefiting him the most, strangely, because after Mad Max, he does, you know, he, he's appearing in Oscar movies like The Favorite. And uh, damn, now I got now I got to I got to pull my letterbox in order just to see because I was literally doing the Nicholas Holt rankings last night. You know, he's in mm -hmm. um, he's in Mad Max Fury Road and he's in The Favorite. And then he's in the Taylor Sheridan movie that came out during COVID, Those Who Wish Me Dead. And he's like just doing these character parts. And then he's in The Menu last year, you know, but it's like, it's a guy who's like really um, restricted himself to like interesting character parts, and I think that's what's benefited him strangely because like now he's, he's becoming not, like, more of the character actor, which we like what you just said with Tom Hardy, and I feel like right. that's what we see also see to give credit to is Nicolas Cage because we remember him for the characters, not so much the movies. So I feel like. I, I feel like that's a 50-50, but because, again, the, the difference is that Cage came up in the era when movie stars could still sell movies, so it's like, even though you remember his characters and, like, the memeability of those moments, like, back when a lot of his movies were coming out, it's like, no, mm -hmm. yeah, you watched the movie for Cage, like, Face Off was Cage, like, yeah. Con Air like, was Cage, The Rock like was... In the early yeah. ages of like the, yeah. especially the 90s and yeah. you know 80s area but now it's like you know he yeah. he now, knows now he's yeah now well now after doing an entire decade of directed dvd movies just for the paychecks now it's like he's weirdly like turned his career around again where he's been doing just this i feel like this really started with color out of space i would say is where this started where you have like just this interesting assortment of just like these really fascinating character parts i think that's why people like started to get invested back in in him in 2021 because it's like he's not just doing direct to dvd schlock he's doing like something like willie's wonderland which is like a fun take on like a familiar enough premise and he's doing pig which is like a neon like quiet that character so piece good too. and and mm -hmm. then uh and then 2022 he does the unbearable weight of massive talent it's like yeah he's doing the movie star thing but like the 21st the, the equivalent of like the 21st century movie star thing where he's looking back and like reflecting on his career and poking fun at himself 
plot. Like that's kind of yeah. like I feel like why Brad Pitt has been able to still have like an interesting career, and Tom Cruise, even though he's still kind of doing the same thing that he's been doing for the last decade, like it's getting to the point now where it's like almost become a joke in and of itself how seriously he takes it. So. It's interesting to see how Nicolas Cage has kind of gotten himself to that part, and it translates well because, like I said, he's contending with Nicholas Holt, who is a younger actor, and the problem with younger actors is younger actors no longer have the ability to have a movie star-esque career. Like, Marvel's kind of destroyed that, so now you have a whole generation of actors that are trying to aim for, like, these types of parts that it's like mm-hmm. – the, the the like. Put it this way, like we don't have any movie stars left that can sell a movie just based on name alone because even the ones that do – it's really because they have like a brand attached to their name. It's not just because you're interested in them as an actor. Like nobody watches Kevin Hart movies because they think Kevin Hart's a good actor. Nobody watches The Rock movies because they think that he's a good actor and so on and so forth. You go because you know that there's going to be a certain something associated with that name, you know? And mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage in a weird way has kind of like transitioned that where he's kind of like the last like leading man who you like go because you're still interested to see what he's going to bring, you know, where it's like, yeah, he's playing Dracula. He's playing a version of himself, but like you still want to go because it's him, you know? And I I can't really think of any other like older actor that can do that because he's another one. That's like, he's going to be 60. Would you argue maybe Keanu Reeves, even though he hasn't memed himself yet. I guess you can kind of say he memed himself and always be my maybe, but he didn't go to the theaters to see that. Yeah, Keanu, mean, Keanu Reeves is another one where again, it's like it, it's a brand. It's like you go because he's John Wick, you know, and mm-hmm. and he's always going to be like like it's either John Wick or like nice guy Keanu, which is like what the mm-hmm. memes are all about. So it's like there's always going to be like some iteration, like that even bleeds over into John Wick, which was something I was talking about with Luke uh, a couple weeks ago, which is that like you like. John Wick is like this killer assassin who drops like 700 bodies in the course of like a minute, but like he's ultimately a nice guy who just wants to be left alone. And mm-hmm. that kind of translates over to Keanu's like real life essence. So again, that's another thing. It, it's the brand associated with the actor, you know? That I can also see with, um, I guess we can kind of see a progression like that for like um, Ryan Gosling, because I know he's transformed. Not Maybe not yet. Gosling's a weird case. I would say it's more so with Ryan Reynolds because Ryan Reynolds is just like, again, Ryan okay. Reynolds is no longer like a movie star persona. He is a brand. He is just like, like Deadpool- with, with like the sarcastic constant one-liners and the always breaking the fourth wall and like that like that is that is associated with him. Gosling's an interesting one because like Gosling is somebody who I can't say that he's a movie star per se, but like every time he's in something, I'm like people are going but it, it's so strange because it's like I feel like people are always watching the latest Ryan Gosling movie but like not for him if that makes sense, you know, like, okay. like, like if you look at like the last couple of movies that he's done, right. The gray man, right. Nobody watched that because of him. I feel like they watched that more because it's Chris Evans. It's the directors of Endgame, and it's a Netflix action movie, you know, mm-hmm. or like, 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 for example, like, like the gray man and bullet train. The biggest difference to me is that like bullet train, was resting off the power of Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt. and that yeah. massive ensemble cast. The Gray Man, nobody was going to the Gray Man to see Ryan Gosling. And like the one that he did before that. It was the that, all factor. It was all three of the factors, I think. Right, for it's, them, exactly. It's, it's like, so, so Gosling's always an interesting one to me because it's like, he both is and is not a movie star. Like he's an incredible actor. I don't think there's like any part that I've been disappointed with him in, but like he's not a movie star that sells movies just based off of his name. Like I would not, put Ryan Gosling in the same class as like Brad Pitt or Bradley Cooper or Nicolas okay. Cage or really any one of these like old school movie stars that can like sell a movie based right. off of like okay. their name and acting ability, you know? But that's an interesting one that you brought up. But like bringing it back to the Nicholas Holt thing, like it's so weird because like I said, Nicholas Holt is part of like the younger generation, even though he's like, you know, he's almost 40, you know, he's on the older side. He's technically in that younger range of like millennial to zillennial actors where it's like, you know, like Chalamet and Holland and Florence Pugh and Jake Lordy and all these guys where it's like none of those guys are like Holt is only 33. 
So he's really? getting there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Never mind. He's a little bit younger than I thought. I thought he was more so in his late thirties, but, um, yeah, like, Schwartz is older, so yeah. maybe I, like, you're like, like, Put it this way. Jennifer Lawrence is technically like the first big name star of that whole mm-hmm. generation. Like she's the first one that really broke out like 1990, right in the, in the, in the millennial time, uh, in the millennial bracket. Margot Robbie as well in that. And like, I feel like Margot Robbie is like the only big name recognizable star out of that whole group. Like I just listed off. I like, think for a long time, we thought it was going to be Jennifer Lawrence, you know, taking right. on, you know, the Hunger Games and Silver Linings Playbook and like really making herself a name because, you know, she won the Oscar and everything. And now it's, it's funny how you say it. It's Margot Robbie now because she's the one, yeah. you know, making. However, the movies that she's been in the last two films that she was in last year were box office bombs. So it's you know what I think it comes down to. I, I, the, uh, the reason the why I think it's yeah. Well, the reason why I think it's Margot Robbie is because Margot Robbie to me is the only one of all of those actors that has not done a franchise yet. Like in fairness, like a lot of those actors who I just named, like they're just getting their career started. You know, like like Jake Elordi and Zendaya and all those other. Like Zendaya has been a Disney actress Child, for a while but like right? and, and like she's like a big name star but it's like you also have like the tiktok influencer stuff and everything but like all those guys are like just getting their career started like holland's only been spider-man for a few years chalamet has been acting consistently in a lot of awards prestigious stuff but like he just he only had dune like two years ago it's only really starting to blow up florence Pugh really only really blew up in 2021 even though she was getting started beforehand but like the thing about um margot robbie is that margot robbie has had like a solid decade now of being a movie star and to my experience, outside of the Harley Quinn part, she really hasn't done a franchise because even though Harley Quinn is like this big iconic character, because the the weird, crazy segmentation and like constant resetting and reshuffling of all those movies is like kind of caused this dissonance. So now it's like it's weird. She's the only one that's been cast in like a big famous comic book part, and like people are still able to differentiate her from that, if that makes any sense. So 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 Robbie's an interesting case, and like especially after Babylon and like how you know that that's her and Brad Pitt, but I feel like just people that wasn't enough to spare that movie, and like that movie had a lot of other stuff that it was go- that was going for it as well. But I'm really interested to see like how many people are going to show up to Barbie for her versus how many people are going to show up just for like that insane marketing campaign, just in general. But, the property and everything, but yeah, but but Nicholas Holt, I, I guess if we're gonna if we're gonna put a wrap in that conversation, it's that like interesting career so far. Really interesting parts. He seems to have like kept in the character actor status that Tom Hardy has been unable to get back to because the problem with Tom Hardy is that Tom Hardy keeps wanting to get back to character actor status, but like his looks and his stardom just will not allow him to because it's like he's been in too many big things and he hates being in roles where he's handsome. He loves getting gruff, grimy, down in the dirt. He loves changing his voice. He loves putting on masks, you know, all that stuff. He even said it himself. He only did Venom for his for his son and like Venom, they don't even know what the hell they're doing with those movies. But yeah, yeah it's true. But but as far as like the whole like movie stardom thing, I'm all about th- this dynamic, this duo. Like I said, Holt and Cage, they're great together uh, mm-hmm. in this movie. They really really do sell the movie, and like it creates for like some really funny like camp backgrounds. Like there's a lot of great jokes in this movie too. Like at the end when they finally kill Dracula, they like do all these other things that he does his voiceover. Where it's like, yeah, you know, there's been so many different ways to kill vampires in the past. That, like it could honestly get a little confused. So we pretty much did all. And you kind of see that in the beginning of the film too, yeah. with the garlic and the whole like. Yeah. vampire assassin that you see in the film and then it's like oh we've seen it all but you know yeah, he did a, it, a lot of it the good, extreme way there's a lot of good setups and payoffs in this movie chris mckay honestly possibly the, the definitely the more underrated and possibly the we might have a little bit of a tony ridley scott situation going on here where it's like adam mckay is much bigger and more mainstream and more well-known but chris mckay like his stuff is it's really good it's really funny like the lego batman is mm-hmm. really horrifically underrated and i think yeah is better absolutely. than the lego movie you know i think it's better than the second lego movie 
Oh, yeah, well, the second Lego movie is just whatever. It's just really, it's really It's so tied between, generic. like, the jokes for the Lego Batman movie and the Lego movie are just so torn for me because they're right. both equally so And And then his movie that he directed for Amazon as well, the Chris Pratt one, The Tomorrow War, I've, like, everybody that watched that movie told me that that movie was, like, actually surprisingly good. And I mean, it's still, it still, unfortunately, behooves me to have been able to see it yet. But I was actually, like, really, really impressed by that one. And then... um yeah, so so like I said, the jokes in this movie really worth like it's corny scenarios. Like I was watching with my friend last night. We were both baked out of our minds watching it. And he was like <laughs> It was just like just corny lines and corny settings and everything where it's like of course like you have the typical you know, Renfield is trying to like advise Dracula away from like killing a bunch of people because like Renfield is bringing like Dracula all these criminals to feed on. He's like, Oh, their blood is gross, you know. I need like more innocent, youthful blood and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, you know, really going based off of, you know, the Dracula draining the lifeblood of innocence. And really like illuminating his evil sea and then like Renfield using Dracula's blood to like bring people back from the dead and all that and like the respective like you know evil people becoming more evil and evil recognizing evil and all that like there, there was a lot to get from this movie and so it kind of does kill me when you have people that are just like you know going and be like oh this movie is not that good because it's too yeah. funny and it's like that that kind of brings me to like the cocaine bear arguments where it's like have we just lost the ability to like understand what a movie is and what it's going for? Where it's just, like, we, like understand the fun of film, and you know that's like I haven't seen Cocaine Bear yet. I know it's available on Peacock. I'm gonna watch it because I really want to watch it now at this point. But I feel like a lot of just say critics nowadays forget what fun is and just camp in general. Yeah, and they lose that, and this is pure fun and camp. And like what Cocaine Bear, from what I've seen and I've talked to a lot of people, it's that's also camp and it's dumb and it's funny. And I feel like we need to go back to some of those times because especially in the eighties, there's a lot of campy films. That, that's literally all that comedy was in the eighties. You know, your airplanes are naked guns your police academies, you know, Ghostbusters. I mean, kind of started this wave of like more straight laced comedy, but like even still, it's like, I just, I don't understand what people's disconnect is where I feel like the biggest thing that me, Dustin and Don Trip were talking about when we talked about cocaine bear was it's like, did people not understand what movie they were going to watch when a movie literally called Cocaine Bear and with the trailer that that was? It's like it's going to be a gory, gruesome, funny creature feature, and yeah, that's exactly what this like, was too. Like a like a like a No right. Country for Old Man vibe, right? Like, no, or, this or, is like, or like, like for lack of a better word, like a, like a scream movie. Like, like Scream, I feel like is able to get away with it because of like the brand familiar, familiarity. Familiarity, but it's like, in the property itself. But like but. I feel like so far because I always focus on like what an overall theme of like movies is in a given year, and I'm always like. So the theme of 2023 is people just like if it's not part of a wider recognized franchise, people just not knowing how to react or or or, or like mm -hmm. if it's not part of like an already associated brand. Like the thing about it is we're going to be reviewing Bo is Afraid next week, which is the first Ari Aster movie since 2019's Midsommar. And like I can kind of already tell what the reactions to that movie are going to be just based off of people's familiarity with Ari Aster and, and his brand and his signature of filmmaking. And it's mm -hmm. like – I feel like um, we're we in this age now of the internet where we have all this information at our disposal. We can just look up everything beforehand and like kind of the mystery of movies has been lost, ironically enough, because that's something that uh, that 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 um, that the menu was actually commenting on, strangely enough, bringing it back to the Nicholas Holt connection. It's that it's like unless we know exactly what it is that we're going for, it's like people are just immediately turned off to it. And I'll or admit that like I've been people have to look up the spoilers beforehand and they right. decide if I'm going to watch it or not. Right. But, which like, I let you, like what you said, loses the magic of film. Yeah. And it's like, I'll admit, like, I've been guilty of that before, too. You know, like, I, I've read spoilers for, like, big Marvel movies. That's like, okay, I, I already kind of know what I'm expecting. So I just kind of want to know what happens. Or, like, if I'm, like, if it's, like, a first-time new director and I'm, like, not a fan of it, you know, I'm like, eh, whatever. 
you know, I'm, I'm probably a little bit too harsh on it. Like, um, I remember the big theme of 2018 was there were a lot of like first time filmmakers that were directing a lot of movies and a lot of those movies I was probably a little bit more harsher on than I should have been that I've since come around on. But like, I mean, I famously made my thoughts on Ari Aster know that I am not a fan of him as a filmmaker, like at all. I think that like, I'm not a fan of his style. I, I, like, I think it's just his filmmaking style and his sense of tension building that covers up for either just pure shock value schlock or just unoriginal stories that have been seen and done much, much better before, you know? And to be so, fair, I love Hereditary, but I'm not a fan of Midsommar, but I am right. excited for Bo is Afraid, so I'm curious. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Bo is Afraid being very skeptical but hoping to be impressed. And um, what's it called? And, and like, yeah, it's just like, like even with Martin Scorsese, like it's like people, I feel like when The Irishman came out back in 2019, it's like I feel like people were already able to make their claims. It's like, it's like when everyone's complaints were about the length, and I'm like, yeah, sure, you could have trimmed it at certain parts, but it's like, guess what? Scorsese is the director that he is because he's been doing this for so long and because mm -hmm. he has earned the ability to make movies as long as he wants, you know? And mm -hmm. it's funny because, like, uh, you already see the things coming out about Killers of the Flower Moon, and they're like, up, oh, Killers of the Flower Moon is going to be even longer. They're like, that's going to be now almost four hours. And, like, of course, I saw one really, I mean, like, really what funny. do you expect? Is it smart? And right. it's Marty. He wants it's, to make like, the movies long. It's like people just need to get rid of their preconceived notions, I guess, is kind of the message that I'm starting to realize is what is what is going to be the, the repetitive theme going forward. Because it's like, uh, so far of all the movies that I've talked about so far this year, I think the only ones that we have had no preconceived notions for are Kaleidoscope, which is the miniseries that Eli and I covered as the kickoff episode for this year. And right, I forgot about that series. Um, and and then yeah, everything else has been like part of a larger IP that it's like we already have some familiarity with, you know. Or like last weekend when Luke and I talked about Mario and Tetris, where it's like because those were both just or even the Mandalorian uh, right now, like well, that's yeah. like a franchise thing. That's a well, the biggest thing about Mandalorian is it's like the the, the thing that I I've been trying to get across about just this season in general as well, and as with my writing about it for GuyAtTheMovies.com with the, with the weekly recap series is that. The, the problem that Mandalorian has is that Mandalorian had this one mantra and this one way of people looking at it throughout right. COVID. And then after all of the – and then we had all the other additional Star Wars series in between seasons two and three. And so now we've got all the – in addition to just the bag of Star Wars and, and, it, and its current – and Lucasfilm and its current management under Disney – we also have now the baggage of all of these other Star Wars properties that came out in between seasons two and three, all of like this wide varying range of quality. So it's like people, mm -hmm. in addition to just not even really knowing that season three was out because like it just came out in the middle of like this massive TV dump because like we got yeah, Mandalorian like, back, then Ted Lasso, then Succession, then Yellow Jacket, Last yeah, and then Dave. Last of Us was still going on. We had all these other shows that were going on because it was trying to cram it in so it could make the Emmy deadline. And it's like, we have all the baggage of these other Star Wars shows and like some things are interconnected and some things aren't and it's like now people don't even know how to react to it and it's like I've just been watching it as it is and I'm like yeah I've still been really enjoying this season overall you know I think you it's like, like that Lizzo episode well <laughs> that was just no that was just another thing of where it's like okay it's just it's more pointless celebrity cameos just for the sake of having celebrity cameos like they're not in it the, the problem with that is it's like they're not in it enough to be blatantly offensive to me like if they were in it and like a cr tr intrinsically crucial part of the episode that ended up bombing that would be one thing but it's like they're just cameos that are just there and then they're gone in the next second christopher lloyd honestly what they did with him was way more embarrassing to me than anything yeah. going on with liz or jack True. black in that episode because mm -hmm. it's like jesus christ it literally looks like they put him they took him out of life support just to get him in that episode it's like jesus he is old oh, but yeah no but like that's my stance like but for what it is it's like i'm enjoying it you know it's just like it, it kind of ties into our discussion overall about this movie it's like just know what it is going and understand that mm -hmm. they have a certain way of portraying the story and go with it and stop trying to implement 
implement what it is that you want. That's the biggest thing. That's my biggest problem with critics. That's my biggest problem with how I see reviewing people, just specifically in 2023. It's like people reviewing what they wanted to see, not what they got. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, but I'm like, I think that's going to just do more harm than good because you're not right. actually offering up any critiques. You're just offering up a series of suggestions to like what you want. I'm like, if that's the case, just go write fan fiction, you know, don't yeah, be a critic. Right. Right, totally. I, I totally get that. Yeah. So, overall, I feel like that's everything that we would that uh, that I wanted to discuss just about this movie. Like I said, it, it, this was always going to be a smaller one, you know, smaller, smaller, more fun review. You know, next week is going to be the big one because we've got a lot of stuff dropping. Like I said, we have Bo is Afraid, we have Evil Dead Rise, we have Guy Ritchie's The Covenant with Jake Gyllenhaal, and we have an Apple TV Plus movie, the next Anna de Armas, Chris Evans Apple TV Plus movie, Ghosted, uh, which we'll see how that goes. That's kind of looking to be more so along like vibes of the Gray Man as well, ironically enough. So we'll this see if everybody like, complains about that. You but, see that clip? It wasn't that good. It's no, 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 it was no, not. No, it was not. I, I feel so bad for Anna de Armas because they, they are trying every which way with Anna de Armas. You know, they tried with like the um, you know, the the, the genre spot. Now they're trying to transition her into more of an action star between Ghosted and this new ballerina, this John Wick spinoff that's yeah. coming out and it's like man i just feel i just feel bad for her honestly because like the problem is she's not even that talented of an actress at least not from what i've seen to be I able to carry that stuff. you know and it's like the, the, the oscar nomination for blonde was completely indicative of it's like yeah they're they're trying way too hard but they're trying way way too hard with her and i think it's gonna blow mm -hmm. up and what sucks is that like I think she's actually like pretty insightful, surprisingly enough, despite her career, because like she was like one of the first ones to call out why another one of the reasons why there are no movie stars. It's like, yeah, there's no mystery or aura involved with them. They're all their lives are put on blast on social media. So everybody kind of is familiar with them as a person. So like the idea of them being a movie star, quote unquote, is just dead. And I'm like, wow, that's really that's deep and insightful and surprisingly right. You know, mm -hmm. no, I completely get that. Yeah. So final thoughts and star rating for Renfield. I just love it. It's camp. I put this in my review. I gave it an 8 out of 10, like a B plus. I mean, like that might be high for a lot of things for the film, but I just I just really enjoyed it. It was like one of the best times I had at the theater, to be honest. I, what we have gotten this year, this is like definitely one of the best times I enjoyed at the theater. Yeah, absolutely. For what's been a relatively disappointing movie year so far, and just relatively mm -hmm. disappointing in terms of uh, times that I had in the theater. I mean, this is like the third. This is like the third or fourth movie now that I watched online. Uh, like I like, and it's like this is probably the best one that I had. Like I said, it was just an overall blast. It was fun. It was campy. It knew what it was doing. The plot, like I said, is simplistic, kind of whatever. But uh, at the end of the day, it's like you're not kind of watching it for the plot and the story. You're watching it for the gore in the camp. So for me, at least, it's like yeah, this is an easy four out of five stars for for sure. Mm-hmm. What about you? Because I realize you, you missed the star rating. Oh, I'm, the star rating? Oh, the star rating. Oh, I'm going to give it a four out of five as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, it's a blast. It's campy. It's fun. I'm like, it's Nicolas Cage's Dracula. What else do you want? Like, you, that, yeah. that alone should be indicative of what the type of movie that you're getting. But yeah, or if so, you really want to see it just for that reason, it's that. It's just right. that alone. Exactly. Exactly. So, like I said, that is it. That is all that we have going on for today. Kristen, thanks once again for coming back on. This is a blast. I know, I know that you know we only had a short amount of time to get you on, but I'm glad that we were able to make this work. Like I said, it's, I, like I said, this this podcast outside, I think it went better better than I expected. So who knows? This yeah, may not be the last time that you see this happen. So Kristen, once again, thanks for coming on. Like I said, you're always welcome back here on the Talk Thank to You podcast. Where can the good people follow you on the interwebs and t let them know if you've got anything special going on? Okay, you guys can follow me at uh, Miss Filmingo on Instagram, Kate Filmingo on Twitter. I'm all over the place, so uh, just follow me there. I post articles. Uh, I just got to cover the Boston Underground Film Festival for Film Fest Report, which was a lot of fun. Got to see some interesting films, so uh, head on over to Film Report filmfestreport.com to see my reviews of all the films I got to see 
and uh, also the MK Productions podcast. Uh, we are going to be back up and running very, very actually running this week. We're going to be reviewing, uh, finally going to be reviewing Scream. <laughs> like we, we've been a little behind, but we are going to be back up and running. And Dom, you're going to be guest starring, I know, on our Guardians of the Galaxy review. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know I'm going to be on there to talk about everything about possibly my favorite cinematic super team ever. But uh, yes. yeah, uh, follow Chris with all that going on there. And of course, you can follow myself at Movie Nerd Reviews across all platforms, the official talking TV podcast across all platforms. Like I said, subscribe. And to us enjoy Succession and Barry tonight, folks. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. We got the, the fourth episode of Succession post Logan Roy's death, and we have the two episode premiere of Barry's fourth and final season. TV is really only just getting started for sure. Be sure to follow. Oh, like I said, I've still got TikTok reactions going up of all that, so be sure to follow us on that as well. Subscribe to us if you're listening to us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitch as well. This episode will be available tomorrow on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And as always, people, for myself and Kristen, 12 seasons in a short film, and watch more fucking movies. We'll see you guys next time. 